You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Matthew Rone. Matthew, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks for inviting me. Matthew, we're talking on uh, December 20th in 2021, and we're going to talk about your, your show at Casey Kaplan uh, Ligatures, but I just want to ask you a little bit about the last year. How has the last year affected your, your practice? Um, I mean, I'm a pretty hermetic entity, and so during the pandemic, I mean, I just continued to ride my bicycle to the studio six days a week, and just try to work through it. Um, I mean, I will say that I think for my particular um, approach to finding um, image vocabulary and content that I found that fearing my death took up a lot of background activity. And I, I found that, that the more placid my kind of environment and the more I can insulate myself from um, de- turmoil, the, the better my creative filter works. And so I, I noticed that, like, you know, at, at various times, depending on the, the level of my anxiety, that sometimes it was difficult to, to, to let my normal creative flow function. I feel like a lot of times I'm like an antenna for material and zeitgeist and all these things and that like when there was so much turmoil during, you know at different times for different waves for different things that were happening that I found that for me like my automatic approach to creating content was extremely compromised at certain times and so that makes sense of course and um, and that's also very interesting so so by compromise do you mean the imagery changed that you were working with? Um, I think that, you know, I draw a lot. Um, and, and I think that, like, I draw um, an, almost in a way that can be compared to libido or maybe hunger or thirst, and that, like, there are times when I really crave the feeling of creating, like, new imagery, which I'd normally do through drawing. And I found that what, what was more pleasurable or easier to calm myself the thing that was easier to calm myself with was not drawing during the majority of the pandemic was that was it was actually working like actually like removing material um I mean that doesn't I don't mean to say that I didn't draw I just meant to say that so much of my other activity like be it I feel like in the beginning of the pandemic it was like a lot of telephone calls a lot of checking in on people uh, being checked in on um, and kind of doing therapy amongst a group of people. And then I think that, like, that filled up a lot of my free time, and then the rest of my time I spent working in the studio. And then I would say that, like, when a lot of times I draw at home, not in the studio, and when I was at home I feel like I was doing things that were more comforting, like watching ridiculous television or doing something, like, to kind of make myself feel a little bit calmer about what was going on. And so... I don't, I mean, when I say compromised, I guess that's a dramatic effect. I would say altered maybe is a, is a more honest mm. word to use. That, that certainly makes sense. And, um, and in terms of imagery, I mean, I'd like to, to get into the show and, and talk about some of the imagery you're making. Um, was there a shift in imagery at, at all because well, of 
that unusual situation? I mean, funny enough, I would say that one of the main themes of my work in terms of visual vocabulary does have to do with disease um, and kind of biology, biomorphic, I guess you could say, but it's like, it's, and I feel like there's always been in my work a kind of um, estimation in terms of how afraid or um, preoccupied I am with death or degradation um, and, and how it kind of interfaces with sex or reproduction or, or any of these other things. And so for me, like the, the pandemic, like made real, a lot of these like fears. Um, So I think for me, the pandemic almost, it shifted the way that I dealt with those things. Whereas normally maybe when you're not, when the world is not under turmoil of disease that you feel looking at disease as maybe a taboo or something like maybe outside the realm of what people are comfortable thinking about. And so for me, I find because I tend to be a hypochondriac or I tend to fear that working with imagery that has to do with cellular reproduction or, or wart skin tags, like tumors, polyps, like these kinds of things assuage my fear or at least put me near my fear as a kind of way to, uh, to, to communicate with it. And, and so when the pandemic hit and there was a lot to be fearful of, it, it, it didn't make me turn away from that material, but since that material was like really on the tip of everyone's brain, it, it was a strange feeling, if that makes sense. It sure does. It sure does. So, so thank you for that and, and sharing that, that. That's really interesting. I mean, of course, now we're talking about like content, and uh, let's, let's talk about that show. So there's so many unusual materials in there, um, basswood, flocking, steel, uh, epoxy. So, so to jump into one of them, that's, um, that's, uh, that was one of quite a few pieces at, at the show currently up at Casey mm-hmm. Kaplan is uh, Recursionizer, if I'm saying that mm-hmm. right. I'm not, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Recursionizer. That's not, a, yeah. that's not a word I know. So what is it? It's a made-up word. Okay, made up good, word. good. <laughs> I'm um, feeling like I'm, my vocabulary needs improving. So, yeah, w- what does that mean? And, and let's talk a little bit about the the narrative okay. of that. And I also want to talk about okay. all those forms, but um, okay. yeah. Um, I mean, recursive is a, is a word that, that kind of, I mean, I'm a dilettante. I do really love etymology and I do love language, but I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on this. So I hope I'm not making a, a mistake here, but my understanding is that recursion is the kind of logic that folds in on itself and it can be represented um, visually. Like for example, if you have a picture of somebody holding up a picture that's a picture of them holding up a picture inside that picture. There's another picture of them holding up a picture and so on and so forth. And so it's a kind of like um, logic that folds in on itself and replicates itself. And so for me, that work has a lot to do with reproduction. Um, It has a lot of um, like reproductive imagery, like um, labia, um, vagina, um, uh, breasts, like a kind of allusion to milk or fluids. Um, it also has like a kind of reclining, 
architecture, sl architectural structure slash body. And then at the end, on one end of it, it almost has this kind of like face or protrusion or, or some sort of um, lingam-like um, shape. And so for me, the work, this is just my um, participation with the imagery, but for me, the work references in a kind of loop like portals, lingams, um, in, insertion, uh, like a reproduction and these kinds of things. And it has this kind of direction, almost like feels like a kind of train or some sort of thing, but it also feels like a landscape. Um, does that, does that yeah. help? Yeah. I mean, no, that is helpful. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm also thinking of, yeah, kind of, is there a narrative here? And, and what is the story? And you're talking that, and you're, and you're, you're articulating that, that's, that's clear. When I looked at it before, uh, you described it as you had. Um, yeah, I saw something like a landscape. I see sexual objects uh, or what looks like it. But also it, it feels like there's another world here, especially in the context of the rest of the show, that, that there's a kind of iconography, your own language, and that these are, uh, you know, almost, almost individuals or, or, or beings in another world. I mean, this is just, this is just my take on it, but it, it feels like there's there's so many elements here that they're they're telling a bit of a story, you know, of, of what happened. You know, that that piece in particular that we're talking about seems like it's almost divided up into uh, I don't know, four parts, like like it is a story. Is that mm -hmm. just like my reading into it or, or, or is there a, a type of narrative to this? No, I think you're right. I mean, I think the when I when I tried to estimate like what was the familial thread in the exhibition, the thing that I kind of settled on was this way in which sculptures connect to each other and that, you know, for me one of my feelings um, one of my one of the things that makes me feel comfortable or or fulfilled in coming up with new visual languages is to try to link things together. It's a, it's kind of a thing that I've done formally and conceptually after all these years is to kind of present sculptures so that you're not sure like where one sculpture begins and ends. Are they all the same sculpture? Like, do they have to do with one another or not? It's it's rare that I present exhibitions that are just discrete sculptures on pedestals, um, although I've done that as well. But for this show, over, over the pandemic, like one of the things that, that happened to me was that, you know, I w I'm working towards an exhibition at the Nasher in Dallas, and um, I, I really wanted to make a very long um, single sculpture. And so I began to kind of study and, and practice horizontality and sculpture and and I started to think a lot about like artists who deal with horizontality and, and I spent some time studying Japanese screen painting and, and I tried to identify other works of horizontality. Like there are a lot of Renaissance works like, um, I don't know, Last Supper or even something like uh, Guarnica where people are, people have worked in a horizontal format, which I find a little bit more um, rare than, um, you know, a typical proportion canvas, whether it's vertical or horizontal. Um, and so I, during the pandemic, I really worked hard to try to figure out how to work in a horizontal way. 
And initially, I, I spent a lot of time drawing horizontally, like long horizontal compositions that I would do at one sitting. And I found that not only was it extremely difficult, but that my hands and my muscle memory tended to become even more ornamental than normal. And even though I'm not, I don't feel, have any negative feelings about ornamentation, I decided that it didn't feel right. And so I also got a little bit nervous about materials during the, during the pandemic. So I began to make very small, much smaller discrete sculptures for a number of months. And during that time, I then became restless again and decided that one solution to horizontality would be to combine sculptures actually, whereas in the past, maybe I've just aligned sculptures into a processional or something like that. And so once I started to align the sculptures and drawings, I started to think about cursive handwriting. And from there, I started to think about ligatures, actually, how um, if the term ligature is used in language, it has to do with certain characters that are next to each other very often that then become one character. And so I started to think, well, if the sculptures touch each other, then they, then they actually become one sculpture, although they have to do as well, they, they still maintain their discrete um, parts. And so I started as a lover of language and writing and etymology, I started to think about syntax and other kinds of allusions to, to the nuts and bolts of, of language and so then also you also get the narrative with the objects and the imagery. You also get the narrative almost like a comic book cell or like, you know, like think one thing next to the next makes, makes you think that you should, you know, relate them. Right. Almost the way, as you're saying, almost the way a, a sentence comes together or kind of characters like, um, you know, Chinese characters or something like that, almost the way they come together and there's, there's something else there that 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 is a a narrative in a sense, but but we're talking in terms of forms too. So yeah, that 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 seems so clear to me now, and and so interesting. I mean, the way I'm understanding what you're saying, which is yeah, those those ligatures, which uh, then ties together all this work, comes together to to create these these types of uh, of narratives, of connections, of of, of ways of of building upon one another. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's always been something that I've been interested in that I, that I tried to solve in terms of presentation. Um, and, and, you know, there are times that I've made extremely large works, but, but I don't know if they were always that most of the time, those large works, if they were a single work, they, they contained parts that were still separate. And so in order to kind of push the language further, I've just, I've figured a way out to take individual sculptures that started as individual drawings and, and figure out how to join them together and which ones go with which. And as you do that, you do begin to build a narrative. Although I think the interpretation of it is, is extremely open-ended. It's, it's not a practice that's built on illustrating concepts and ideas. I think it's still a very Dada-esque and sur like automatic, still related a lot to surrealism and the, the way that the concepts are generated in a kind of random and authorless way. Um, I like that. Yeah. And, and to, so to talk about one that's, um, if, if I could say more of, of an individual, uh, perhaps that would be forces. Um, there's one mm -hmm. piece in there called forces and, um, 
And I'd like to talk about that, but I, I'd also like to ask you a little bit about the material. We're talking in that one about basswood, dye, gouache, flocking, plastic, mm-hmm. steel. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what flocking is. I know that's kind of a kind mm-hmm. of surface or, or, or material that, that, that you would add in, but yeah, can you talk a little bit about how these are built? It sounds like basswood is the armature, and then they're kind of uh, worked on, but I but I really don't know. But that, that word okay. flocking, I just, I just love to keep saying. And, and, <laughs> and it's interesting because I, yeah, I, I don't understand how they're built, but that's partly what's attractive about them to me is, is, is the materiality, right? What's, what's actually happening here. So, um, yes. Okay. So, yeah, so where are, speak, are these materials? Yeah. I can definitely speak to that. I mean, the majority of what I do is carving wood. And so, um, one of the techniques that I use to create the kind of soft forms is I use a bandsaw to cut parts of the wood away. And when those, so if I, a lot of work start as kind of one block of wood, and then I use a technique to drill through it before I've, before I've cut the parts apart. And so those holes that I use to drill through it then become the guiding, like the kind of, um, registration marks to, to get the pieces to come back to, to one piece. And so for the piece forces, it was a thicker piece of wood that I cut vertically into three sections. And so the, you end up seeing like one side is a kind of like lime or like a kind of acidy green beard shape almost that has some tubes on it. And then on the back of the piece, and then in the center is this kind of maroon textured, slightly face-like shape. And then on the back of the piece is a kind of like, peach terracotta-ish um like undulant kind of uh i don't even know what you would call it it's just another shape and then the parts that make the piece stand up are are welded pieces of steel that are covered in a plastic clay and then they're flocked and so flocking is basically like nylon fibers that are are cut into tiny 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 little pieces but they're uniform pieces. And so it it almost looks like a dust. It comes in a bag and it just looks kind of like a, it almost looks like a dust, but it's actually fiber. They're nylon fibers. And so you take an object and then you paint it with an adhesive and the adhesive is basically like a, a very thick oil paint almost, but it's the same color as the nylon. So on that piece, I think it's like a dark burgundy. So it was painted with a dark burgundy adhesive and then you use an air compressor with a kind of hopper. So you put the fiber in the hopper and the air forces goes through the hopper and shoots out all those kind of very, very minuscule fibers that stick into the piece at a perpendicular way so that when you're looking at it, it has this incredibly soft look because it absorbs the light and almost looks kind of matte or almost like fabric. Mm. So that's what flocking is. It's basically a fiber. And, um, and the you, title, you, when the title is Forces, I, I imagine that has to do kind of with, um, you know, how it's, how it's built and it's, and it's kind of sense of gravity, but how, how, how did you mean the, the word forces? Um, because it from, seems that the titles for you are, are kind of specific, right? As you say, you're, you're, you're so interested in, in words and etymology. I would imagine that's also very specific. Yeah, a lot of times for me, like titling, I feel like it's, it's, it's probably one of the most pretentious activities that an artist can do but I find that it it helps it really helps me 
to take responsibility for at least how I've come to terms with the re- my relationship with the piece at that moment. And so a typical process of looking for a title for me will be kind of like a, um, I usually do it after I make the photograph. I do a lot of my own photography. And so it's a part of the process of also of me coming to terms with what's happened. And so I'll photograph a piece, near, you know, maybe a week or so after I finished it. And then when I bring the pieces into Photoshop to, to tune them up like a tiny bit, get rid of some, you know, dust or whatever. Um, and then when I save the file, it's at that moment that I start to commit to making a title. I have a ton of different ways that I come up with titles, but a very common one is to kind of ruminate about the piece in terms of its energy or maybe some relationships that I have with the piece. Um, and so for that piece, like one of the things that I really felt was that the tube-like quality of all the different directions that the tubes were open, all those, all those shapes except for the, the Bordeaux or maroon part, the main part with the holes in it, have holes. And so I started to think a lot about um, architecture and buildings and how different kinds of um, systems in a building um, relate to different kinds of material, heating, cooling, water, gas, um, these kinds of things. And then I started to think a lot about, because the piece also has a very corporeal vibe to me, so I started to think in, in, this, in the way that um, architecture also relates to the body and how those systems of circulation in the building also relate to the circulation systems in the body. And so I started to think, like, well, these are forces that act within a thing to keep it healthy. And so I, I didn't want to be so specific. Um, I, I, I'd like to try to resist and misdirect sometimes with titles or color or forms. And so I settled on forces as a kind of allusion to things that act on other things, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And, you know, when I, when I look at the, the whole exhibit, you know, or, or all these pieces, to, to step back a little bit, you know, where, where we're talking about individual pieces and, and, and narrative and, and approach, when I look at it all, it has a sense of, to me, a sense of, um, of humor, of, of, of whimsy, of another world, of something almost, almost playful, which is quite different than what we're talking about uh, in, in some ways, you know, um, especially as we talk about it in the context of the pandemic. You know, there's, there's all these issues that are, that, are, that are a bit dark and difficult to, to relate to, uh, you know, in terms of, um, well, not difficult to relate to, but that are, that are that are quite serious and and it strikes me that part of the show also and in your approach has um has a wonderful sense of, of play and and humor and um what do you think about that am, am, am i misreading that or or, or is, is that how you feel about it too um i mean i think it's interesting like for me, like, it's always been a part of my work that I've been really embarrassed of, I think, because of my education and the people that I consider to be um, very serious artists tend to have refined and um, subtle palettes. Um, but I, I've tried at many, many different points in, in the time that I've been working to... Um, 
disassociate with the joy of my work and I just can't do it. And I think at this age, I've just accepted that it's a, it's a real part of me, that there is a funny part of me. There's a goofy part of me. I think there's a funny and goofy part about the body. I think nature can be very funny and full of joy. But I also think that for me, it's also a Trojan horse or red herring, that it's like the thing, the thing for me about my experience of being alive is very full of anxiety and fear and regret and embarrassment and, and, you know, hypochondria and all these kinds of things. And I, and I think that, that I've always enjoyed using color as a kind of tool of misdirection. And so I feel like it's, it's a, it's a, on one hand, it's a misdirection, but on the other hand, it's also a kind of inevitable part of my personality that I, that, that I've, I've allowed or just, kind of accepted as part of as part of there that the work is whimsical and I think I think it's a hang-up of mine because I think that the artists that I really respect and imagine have you know deep um, conceptual support you know are supported for their ideas and stuff they don't have these things but at the same time like somebody like Joseph Boys like you know, like he didn't hate color. Maybe he liked color so much that he decided not to use color. And I think for me, it's like, I feel like I, I feel like so much of my experience of the world is full of fear. And, 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 and is that I, I want to not totally embrace that and to somehow balance, balance it out so that it, so that you allow yourself to approach something that may be disgusting or fearful and it may be a trick or, or a Trojan horse or something like that. Does that compute for you? It sure does. And thanks for sharing that. It's, 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 it's a kind of wonderful, really. It takes uh, a lot of bravery, I think, to do that. So, um, you, you know, to, to introduce that, those kind of elements into, into work when, yeah, you have people like Joseph Boys in mind who, yeah, as, as, as I know, didn't have a sense of humor or whimsy, you know, as, as much as I also admire him tremendously and other artists. So, um, so yeah, thanks for sharing that. That does help. I, I want to ask you one more question, which is a little off topic, but what are, what are you reading at the moment? Um, well, it's interesting. Like I, I read a lot. I'm very addicted to the internet and I use Twitter a lot just to read different articles and to get people's takes on things. So I would I fill my mind with a lot of garbage, but over the, over the pandemic, I was able to, you know, I did, I was able to read a, an entire book that I really enjoyed, which was um, this biography of Elvis by, I think it's Barry, Goodman. I can't remember his name. He also did a biography of Lenny Bruce. And it's a biography of Elvis that came out in, in the very early 80s, shortly after Elvis died. And it's a kind of demythologizing and very nasty and catty book about Elvis. And it deals with his paraphilia and, you know, all of his hangups. And it, it really is a picture of a very, um, you know, vulnerable and, and disturbed person. And I really enjoyed it. And I also found that it, I'm a big fan of the nouveau roman writers like Alain Rouvillet. And I, it's a very descriptive book. There's, you know, a chapter that's like 25 pages. That's just descriptions of Graceland. And the author uses very specific words to describe types of furniture and curtains. And I, I, that's the kind of book that I really love. 
I also um, read uh, Justin Beale's book, Sand Future, which I really enjoyed, which is a biography of, um, uh, what's his name, the, the, the Yamasaki, I think his name is, the architect that did the World Trade Center. Um, and, it's, it's, and also a memoir, a personal memoir wrapped under one. I've also been reading uh, Linda Goodman's Star Signs. It's a book about astrology that was written in the 70s. I think it was a huge bestseller and a real, um, a real kind of like cult classic. It's about astrology. Um, those are some things that I've been reading. Currently I'm reading uh, Donna Tartt's Secret History, and um, I did read I did read a couple of Olivia Light books over the over the pandemic, which I really enjoyed. Well, thank you. That's a great list and, and an inspiring <laughs> list. Uh, it's a little Matthew, bit eclectic, but yeah, it's great. That's no, great. Though. I, I, that, that's what I love the most is is uh, yeah that that kind of eclectic lineup. Matthew, I, I want to you know thank you for talking with me today. You know, wish you well with the show. There's of course links to the show, so so listeners can learn more. Uh, but I, I just want to thank you so much for talking with me today and, and, and wish you well with the current show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.